Logocentrifugal, I am Chance Lunsford, or am I? Decide for yourself. I'm here with my special guest, Adam Lane Smith. And why don't you tell him a little bit about yourself, Adam Lane Smith? Hey there, bro. Um, so on Twitter, I'm also at the Brometheus. Adam Lane Smith is my, well, I guess it's my legal name. It's also my author name. It's a pen name, but it's a real one. Because um, you don't want to be an author who is named Adam Smith, because they will never, ever find you on Amazon. Not ever. There's this old dead guy that'll show up in all your search results. Um, gosh, what do people want to know about me? I write books. I treat severe trauma for a living and my day job. I have two kids. I have a wife. I've been married for 10 years. And I write a bunch of kinds of books. I write fun fiction books. I write also nonfiction books for people who are trying to work out problems in their life. On the, on the fiction versus nonfiction end, which one of those brings you more like fulfillment when you're writing it? Hmm. It's a, that is an interesting one. You know, I love fiction. Uh, my entire life, I have loved storytelling. I grew up in a really rough neighborhood. We couldn't really play outside much. We couldn't go outside much. There's a lot of shooting, killing uh, at the stop and rob about 100 miles from my house, 100 feet from my house. Uh, blood on the blood on the sidewalks, broken syringes, things like that outside. So we didn't really get to go outside and play a whole lot. Otherwise, we could die or get kidnapped. So. Um, Books, storytelling was my thing. I would hide in my bed with my blanket over my head. I'd tune out the gunshots and the screaming outside, and I'd be just reading stories. I fell in love with storytelling early on. Books, movies, video games, you know, everything. I know in the manosphere that video games aren't super popular, but they got me through some good times, um, some dark times. And storytelling part of them, though, it's always been my passion. I wanted to tell stories. That's one thing I got into psychology for was because I loved stories so much and I loved hearing stories from other people, but they had these awful endings, other people's personal stories. I could hear where they could use some help fixing those stories and making them better, making them something that those people wanted to live. It really hit me that people were living stories they didn't want to live. So I got into psychology as part of an offshoot of my love of storytelling, I would say. It was a way to help fix those stories and put them on an ending trajectory that the people would actually love. Hmm. So fiction is by far my passion, but but my passion also is helping people and healing their lives. And, and I don't even know about I'm healing their lives, giving them the chance to live out the kind of life they want to live. I use a lot of what's called narrative therapy. In, in, in my office, um, helping people understand their own stories, rewrite their endings, rewrite from a problem-saturated life narrative to a fulfilling life narrative so they can view their life differently. So along the way, I have accumulated so many different methods that I've taught people and come up with. People start telling me, demanding that I write it down in a book so that they could reread it over and over and over. So my books have kind of been born of necessity. If I was a smarter man, I would embrace the nonfiction side. My father always told me that when you're, 
when the public tells you what they want from you and they're willing to throw money at you, you should shut up and give them that product. <laughs> I, I haven't reached that point yet. I'm still a little bit begrudging on my nonfiction books. I write them and I love them and the words flow like water better than with fiction. But I don't know. Fiction's where my heart is when I set up my computer and get ready to tell stories. So. Yeah, man. You know, I, I feel you on that because um, growing up, I was an only child and I was kind of just an odd dude. Um, and I, I was athletic. Still enough are. And up in a, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I, I ran with that. But, you know, I grew up in a safe place and everything, but I spent a lot of time with books and in particular um, books within the epic fantasy genre. And my video games of choice were RPGs. And for the same reason, because um, the stories and the the fact that like within a within an epic fantasy you could place yourself as any one of these archetypal characters and you could you know you always had your favorites like if somebody's got a warhammer chances are i'm going to be a pretty big fan of that character and you know in the in the rpgs like you got to it was a story but you got to play your part you got to decide how you're going to play it and the best ones left a lot of things open for you to choose 100% and and you know i got into writing for very much the same reason it allowed my contrarian nature or like my, my desire to do something because I decided to, and it was my way. It's like, I could do that on paper anytime I want to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've written a couple of nonfiction things, but I'm so excited to break into the world of fiction this year because I've been planning on writing a book for so long and it's so wrapped up and entangled into so many things in my brain that, you know, it's when you were speaking about it, I definitely could identify with what you're saying. Right there with you, bro. Yeah, man. So, how much, how much of growing up in a place that was a hard place to grow up in do you think contributed to you then wanting to turn around and maybe help people who didn't come through it as successfully as you did to, to oh, cope with um, that hard stuff? Quite a lot. Quite a lot. At, I didn't really make the decision to aggressively pursue psychology until I was about maybe 23. Um, up until then I'd been drifting, but since before my teen years, I'd had friends, um, being molested, friends attempting suicide, considering suicide, um, friends being raped as the years went on, violence, all kinds of stuff. Just watching my friends one by one succumb to all these problems. And I was working hard to try to help them because, you know, when you're, when you're young and you panic and you think you can fix things or you just have to fix things because no one else is going to. By the time I turned 23, someone actually sat me down and said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, I want to, I want to help people. And I see all these messed up people and they're like, well, have you thought about being a therapist? And it finally dawned on me that one, I could get adequate training for doing what I'd been trying to do all those years. And two, I could actually make a living doing that. So I wouldn't have to be living in subsidized housing with on food stamps and stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, turn around, went to six years of college, three years of apprenticeship. That's a nine-year training program to be a therapist. And here I am now. And how's it going for you? I love you it. Like? You I do? love it. No, no day ever really feels like I'm putting in work. It feels like I go to an office and I get to live my passion for 10 hours straight. No lunch. I don't even take a lunch. 10 hours straight. I sit there and I do therapy and I work with people and it's wonderful. Even the sessions that aren't great, even the ones that are tense, even if they're kind of just, eh, you know, maybe we don't get a whole heck of a lot done. 
it's living my passion. It doesn't feel like I work a day in my life. My writing, pretty much the same thing. I don't, I get, I get tired from spending energy on things, but I don't feel like I did when I used to work retail. I had a job as working janitorial, mopping bathrooms, mopping the walls of the bathrooms because people are disgusting when they use public bathrooms. Um, (laughs) I've had jobs uh, as a, uh, at call centers, I've had jobs to uh, factory work, everything. And they felt like work. You go to work. My dad always tells me that's why they call it work because it's not fun. And you, that's why they have to pay you to be there. Uh, <laughs> both of these jobs, I think I might do for free. Hmm. In fact, I have done therapy for free. You have to for six months. So. And I know a lot of therapists take on a certain amount of pro bono work just because they want to. Mm-hmm. 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 I work mostly with low-income families who are at risk because uh, they need the help, to be honest yeah. with you. They need it. You know, um, part of what I do in the online world is I try to bring something similar to people, and it's I'm coming from the opposite end. You know, I was one of the people who needed help. I, you know, I, I was in um, counseling for two years, and it was, it was very impactful. Mm-hmm. And I went through this process and I learned all these tools and, um, and then afterwards I was like, well, what, what is that? What, what just happened to me? Because I, you know, essentially it's like I was brainwashing myself into another person, not like mm-hmm. in a nefarious way, but there was some oh. shit that was wrong with me and I was trying to fix it. And the only yep. way to do that is you have to kind of like, there's some things. Yeah. So you got to remap your brain. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And And then how do you do that? And that's, that's why. Um, when you were talking about stories and everything like that's, uh, that's a lot of what I teach is how do you, how do you get in there into that screen that's in your head and, um, reframe what it is that you're seeing, you know, attach a different meaning to it, attach a different emphasis to it. Um, you know, using tricks of the trade, like play a silly song while you're, while you're viewing this intense memory, because it's going to, it's going to take the edge off of it. And it's not something that's dishonest. You know, if you play with stuff like that, it's okay. It's like, Mm -hmm you don't have to suffer again and again and again to process this thing and move beyond it so that it's a tool for you instead of a, an obstacle. Right. So 100%, bro. I, it's, it's cool to talk to you about it because, um, you know, obviously I'm not coming at it from a professional standpoint, but that's why I got into it is because I had professional standpointed on me. And then I, and then I went and did my own research because I was so fascinated by how I was able to transform. I'm with you. You know, I, I have, um, I'm coming kind of from the same angle as you. I've been treated for PTSD myself, uh, multiple, multiple, multiple event traumas. Um, it is what it is, bro. We, we got to get these things worked out, but then we can go out and we can help other people. You can't help anyone until you get yourself some help. And a lot of people go out about, go at that the wrong way around. They try to help themselves by helping other people and it just don't work that way. You got to do some initial work first. Otherwise, imagine if I'm there as a therapist and I'm sitting in the office and someone's sharing their trauma and I just like explode out talking about my own problems and I become the patient for a while there and they have to therapize me. And, you know, sure. That'd be awful. I got to get my things under control and I can't, I don't want to be set off by something they say and start yelling at them in session. That'd be horrible. Yeah. You got to get your own things under control before you can really help anyone, whether you're a therapist or someone who's just genuinely trying to help other people in the world. Hmm. The way I like to look at some of this stuff is like, imagine you have two cups and in the one cup, it's like red hot liquid. And that's your, that's your negativity. That's your stress. That's your doubt. That's your, 
And when that cup overflows, then, you know, you start tearing into people, you're snappy, you're, um, you're aggressive, you're whatever it is that when you are overwhelmed or you've had too much, this is the way that you start to break down. Mm-hmm. You don't want that cup to overflow. And when you're serving people, you have this other cup, this blue cup. And there's two ways that you can serve people. You can either pick up your cup and pour whatever is in you out and, and drain yourself, or you can be in a position in your life where your blue cup is overflowing and it's just pouring out of you. And then when you're in that situation, it's like, I have this love to give. I have this patience to give. I have this time to give because my red cup over there, it's a one out of 10, you know, cause I got cut off in traffic today and I'm going to deal with that after this meeting because I haven't necessarily gone in there and been like, well, no big deal. I forgive you, buddy. But until then, you know, I've still got all these blessings and I recognize it. And so here you go, I'm here for you. But if you pour yourself out and you keep pouring yourself out, then you never get the benefit of that own, positivity that's that's been fed into you so um i i feel you on that one coming from a foundation of strength make sure that you can be there for the long run like it might take everything it has to help somebody one day and maybe that's just what you have to do and it has consequences for you but if you do that every day you're never you're never going to get anywhere you're going to be treading water at best no yeah i do a lot of work with fathers and if you imagine that dad is if dad is always working, never takes any rest time, never takes time for himself to calm down and relax, never takes time away from his family to rejuvenate himself and replenish his energy, doesn't get a good night's sleep because he's up all night every night trying to do more work and help other people. He's not going to be a very good dad. He's going to be snapping at his kids. He's not going to be mentally or emotionally present. He's not going to be right there to teach them the lessons they need. He'll, he'll be doing the surface level stuff. He'll technically be there with, qual- with quantity of time, but the quality will be gone. You're correct. So to be a better father, be a better anything, you have to take care of yourself in that regard. It's not selfish. It's actually a selfless act then to take care of yourself. Let me ask you this. Um... You know, I have from time to time taken on, let's call them people projects. Um, And that's something I've had to learn to be careful about, both (laughs) from a responsibility standpoint and then from a heart standpoint. It hurts sometimes if you put too many expectations on something like that. Mm -hmm. And I wonder being in the position that you're in where that's just what you deal with. And especially given the crowd that you're dealing with, you know, a lot of low income people experience a lot more heartache than people who haven't been in that situation might understand. So what do you do with all, what do you do with all the sadness and the poison and the darkness that is pumped through you? How do you neutralize that for your own sanity and your own sort of health, mental health and physical health? Well, that's a hard question. Um, I would say that I, I take two approaches. I take two approaches. Um, One specifically is that I invest in people instead of investing in outcomes. I don't invest in what I think this family should look like when treatment is done. I don't even invest what I think the person should feel like by the end of the session. I don't invest in making them feel better. I don't invest in making them feel anything specific at all. My job is to at any moment, give them the best chance to live the best version of their life that they possibly can. And I do this in my own life at the same time. I don't sit there and say, I will be a good therapist if, 
this family is together and intact and happy and living in a white picket fence house kind of thing at the end of the session. Um, I don't do that. I give them this is the best possible version of their life that they could be living. If that means they butt heads and they hit a wall that they can't get over and that's the end and they break at that time and they split from each other. If, if that's born from honesty and that's what, that's what they decide and what they need, then that's how the session goes hmm. in the future. If they decide to come back together, whether it's healthy or not, I help them with that. I give people the best possible opportunity to live the life that they choose to live. Now I do not sit there and coddle them and pretend the life choices they make are good ones my job is also to poke holes in their fun and ruin the things that they enjoy and say, if you do this, here's some of the consequences that could happen from it. This may not be a good decision that you're making. And I tell them, this is your call. It's your life. You need to decide the kind of life you want to live, but here's the problems with the plan you're doing. That's my job. They may hate me by the end of session. I've had people in my face, inches away, screaming, spit flying and hitting me in the face. Um, because they're so angry at something that I said, but you know what? They come right back the very next session and they're right back in it. We're doing the work because I was honest with them. I invested in people. When you invest in outcomes, you get disappointed, you get upset, mm. you get hurt, you get all those, all those painful emotions. If I invest in this family looking a certain way by the end of our session, by the end of our tra treatment period, whatever it may be, and they don't, I feel like a crap therapist. I feel like I have failed. I'm also forcing my vision upon them. And as they refuse to mold into it, I'll get resentful and mean and miserable and keep like snapping at them and there'll be division. Then they won't want to come to me anymore. I'd be a really crap therapist. I'd be a crappy friend, a crappy father. Imagine if I told my son I would really only approve of him or love him if he became a doctor who went to the most prestigious schools in the world and he made at least three million dollars a year and he drove this kind of car and lived in this town that's a that's out investing in outcomes my job with my son is to invest in him and i hate the word empower but um to give him all the tools and skills and knowledge he needs to make the best decisions for his own life and then i need to help him live the best version of that life he chooses whether whether he's a client or or my son or a friend or you um i invest in people i don't invest in outcomes if if that means it destroys our relationship because i have to speak the painful truth to you and you're not able to accept it at that moment but you need to hear it at that moment i do it that's the first way i manage that because then then i don't take anything on then I have done the best I could possibly do for that person at the moment. And I can sleep this peaceful sleep of the just every single night, knowing that I did what was best. That's number one. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Number two is taking what I call a legacy view. Um, now, right now, both of these are going to be in my upcoming book. I'm writing a book called Destructive Insecurity, Overcoming Personal Anxiety. It's for people who have attachment issues from childhood or trauma or whatever they might have where they're shying away from other people in relationships or they attach to really unhealthy people because they try to earn love from people instead of being loved. They try to earn love by fixing broken people because the broken people will be so grateful they'll stay with you forever and ever. That's investing in outcomes. Um, 
both of these are going to be present in that book that I'm writing. So a legacy focus is something that I've hammered pretty hard. And my buddy Hunter Drew talks, when he talks to people, I'm the legacy guy. He's kind of called me, which I think is kind of fun. Um, the legacy view is simply this. Let's take you. Are you dating? Are you married? Do you have kids? What are you doing there, bud? Married, three kids. All married, daughters. three kids. Bro, you are perfect. So my example that I use is married with three kids. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, listeners at home, we did not plan this out in advance. He's not a plant in the audience. He's, he's really a person. Um, three people. Okay. Let's take you and your wife. Okay. If it's just you, let's imagine you're a single dude. The purpose of your life at that point is pretty much to maximize your pleasure and minimize your pain for the rest of your life. And when you die, any mistakes you made or anything has detracted from your ability to enjoy it. But when you die, everything just goes away. No one's there to really survive you. Nothing really lasts beyond you. It's, it's pretty much just you, right? Sure. You get married. Okay, cool. Now you got a wife to provide for. That's cool. You got someone to share with. Neat, but doesn't really change that dynamic. She might live, wives tend to live maybe 10 years beyond their husbands. Guys, be careful when you pick a wife because she'll live 10 years beyond you and whatever plans you had with your life, she's going to oversee that legacy. My little snippet there. Um, it doesn't <laughs> change up a lot. Then you got three kids. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, this changes some things because now you have people who inherit from you. Now you have people that you are training to go out in the world. Now you have a biological legacy that will survive you. When you are dead and in the ground, these children will continue forth with the lesson that you taught them. All the lessons, all the teachings, good and bad, will go forward. These will be the, the ripples that you make in the world. Let's assume each of your three kids gets married and then has three kids of their own. Boom, 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 boom. So on this level, you got three kids plus th their spouses. You're looking at six descendants on that level. Okay, that's you know, what, 20 years from now? Um, next level down, you got nine grandkids. Boom, 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 boom. Cool. And they all get married. So there's 18 on the other level. We're, we're just going to stick with biological right now. So you got three, and then you got nine. Next level down, they all have three kids. Boom, boom, boom. You got 27 great-grandkids. Okay, that's maybe 60, 70 years from now. 27 grandkids. One more level down. You got great-great-grandkids. There are 81 great-great-grandkids. Now, when you add all of this up, over the next 100 years, what you're looking at is about 120 biological descendants directly from you. And if they're all married, that's 240 descendants directly impacted by the choices you make, by your original marriage with your wife. That's 120 marriages is modeled on the marriage with you and your wife. That's 120 biological descendants, 240 actual descendants with the marriages. That's a lot. And that's only 100 to 120 years, depending on where you're at in your life. Yeah. This only counts three descendants, and it's only counting biological descendants. This does not count all the people in your life that you will impact. Every person that you impact adds another one to your, your three. If my wife, my wife wants to have 10 kids, but that's a lot. For every one that you have, if they have three, there's 80. So that's 800 descendants. That's 800 descendants for me, 100, 120 years from now, if I have 10 kids with my wife. That's a lot, but that doesn't include the kids we may adopt, people I may mentor, people I work with in therapy and make a strong impact in their life. People hearing this podcast, they contact me, they start talking, and we become friends, and I become an impacting force in their life, right? So what it actually looks like is here's me in the middle 
And here's this web of all these connections from me to all these other people. Maybe it's a hundred people. Maybe it's a thousand people in my life. Maybe it's 10,000 people in my life. If it's 10,000 people and they all only touch three lives, I think that's 800,000 people in the next 100 to 200 to 120 years, 800,000 people. If I touch 10,000 people in my life with my books, with my teachings, my therapy, my kids, whatever it might be, 800,000 people in the next 100,000 and next 100 years to 120 years. That's, that's also you there, bro. That's your life. Also the things you're doing here, bringing guests on, having them teach people. You said like you do, you work with people and you try to guide them through their own dark night of the soul the things that you do with people, that's also building a web of impacts around you that spread outward like this. Now, it is virtually impossible for a human being to live a life that leaves no impacts around them. You are always doing that. I don't care if you are a heroin addict with six kids in the foster system that you never see and you live alone in a crack house. I I, I don't care. I don't care what the setup is. You are leaving impacts in those six kids. If you have kids and abandon them and never see them, those are still impacts out there rippling through the world that you have now deprived them of a father. You've deprived them of that love. You've damaged their ability to connect to other people. You will have what's called a fractured legacy at that point. Your legacy will be full of other addicts, violence, suicide, prostitutes, you know, all people that are miserable with life go out and just try to scrape up a living or try to earn love from other people through desperate means, this is what's going to happen with the fractured legacy. Or you can carefully cultivate that network and build a united legacy where they all work together and it makes a better world around you as your 800,000 people that you've ended up touching throughout your life as they go out and make the world a better pace, you and me one-on-one. Yeah. It's hard for us to change the world, but when you look a hundred, 120 years down the line, man, that's a very different world. That's a very different world. You know, there's, there's this experience I had with my wife. We got married and uh, the next year we went on an 18 day road trip. We just packed up a bunch of gear in our vehicle and we planned her out and we went, and we stopped at this place um, in Oregon called, and it, it was called Sparks Lake. And it was, it was just off of this road we'd end up taking, and, and it was in the middle of nowhere. And we just decided to stop there. It's like, this is a nice place. Let's camp out. So we camped. And um, to be honest, we were tripping out there, you know. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there was this moment that has impacted the rest of my life that happened there. Um, we were just kind of on our way back from a long circuitous ride around this lake. Mm-hmm. And we pulled up to this little side pond that had kind of seeped up from the ground. And um, you could see some, some of the like rainbow colors from oil on the surface of the pond. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed a rock and I dropped it in the pond. And this, and we had been very aware of the natural sounds going around and there was a rhythm to them. It was interesting. And then I dropped the rock in the pond and everything stopped. There had been mm-hmm. frogs that, the sound of the frogs, they would, it would go around the pond and the birds and, and then everything stopped. It, w- it went silent. And we were in this valley. There were no cars. There was no nothing. Not like the insects were even quieter. Mm-hmm. Slowly ribbit, ribbit, chirp, chirp. And it started, 
you know, it started coming back and then it went back into the rhythm and it took about 15 minutes for that one rock dropped in the pond that was outside of the harmony of the situation before things had fallen back into that natural rhythm. And what I realized at that moment is I dropped just seriously a little pebble into this little um, satellite pond on this lake and this great giant rhythm of all these beings and all this harmony was stilled and shattered for 15 minutes from a rock. Imagine the impact that I'm having in the world. Mm. And that, that was actually, that wasn't that easy of a realization to realize because I wasn't necessarily living that no. awesome at that point. But absolutely. When you do realize something like that, it's like, Oh, well, um, if I'm, if I'm not going to be a punk about this, I have to start making some changes in my life and I don't want to, I don't want to have to be calling myself a punk anymore. So, well, 100%. <laughs> yeah, man, you know, here's the, here's the real kicker. Um, you and me, we're what? We're maybe in our thirties, mid thirties. Hey, I'm 33. I'll say that's awesome. Um, okay. We got you. You, me and Jesus, bro. That's right. That's right. We'll be there forever. Um, you know what though? <laughs> You and me maybe got 50 to 70 years, right? 50, actually 40 would be the average. You and me got maybe 40 years to the average for the rest of our lives. Don't think about that too hard because you're going to cry. Um, but if we live until we're pat well, 103, that's 70 years from now. I doubt you and I are going to have 70 years. At some point, we're going to die. All of our possessions are going to get scrapped for cash or our kids may grab a couple sentimental items. Our grandkids may grab some sentimental items and those go in a box somewhere in the attic. And when they, when they die, their kids go through and say, what is this crap? And they throw it out in a big dumpster. The money that you accumulate gets divvied up in all these different hands and ripped apart and disappears. You have a funeral and they bury your body. So your body's not going to be around. You know, they're not going to they're not going to mummify you and put you on display in the family household. So you're gone. Your, your body is gone. Your money is gone. Your possessions are gone. Your accomplishments go away. You know, the, the trophies that you get on PlayStation for achieving little things, you don't, those don't go on your headstone. Um, no one cares about your accomplishments. They don't save your little trophies. You know, maybe if you were in war and there's medals, they might keep those, but those again, over time, your grandkids, great grandkids may say, who cares? What, is, what the heck is this? I don't even know what this is. This is just in a box. It's kind of cool, but oh, whatever. Um, all those things go away and they fade and they age and they fall to dust and they die with you. The day after your funeral, what's left? The only thing that's left, the only thing that's left is the impact you leave in the human lives around you that have fundamentally changed that ripple effect you talked about that have changed the lives around you, whether they know your name or not, whether they know that you were the one that created that moment, whether they know that you were the one who taught that lesson, they have fundamentally changed because of you and they will continue in the changed altered trajectory forever until the end of the human race. That's the only thing that matters because it's the only thing that survives. Religion teaches this too, right? I'm Christian. Love, uh, love, love the Lord God, right? Number one. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. You got to love yourself. We talked about that a minute ago, the self-care. But you have to love others. And the only way to love others is through those relationships, right? The Bible teaches that God is love. I'm not trying to hammer everyone with Christianity here, but the Bible teaches that God is love. Therefore, he exists in our love between each other. That, that's, that's one place where he is present. He's present outside of that, but 
he's really present in that moment between us, that connection, that love. That's where works happen. That's that's where all the good things happen is those relationships, those connections. That's that's what faith is about, is a relationship. That's all that matters is relationships. You have to cultivate those because you will have them regardless of whether you want to or not. It can either be a shattering experience for the world or a healing experience for the world. Do you want it better? and more unified or do you want it more fractured will you leave the world fractured for your existence or unified for your existence that's all that matters at the end of your life and if if you somehow try to elude this so that you have no impact if you just try to live even though you have this trickle down effect you try to live as if it's just you and that's all you focus on and you have no impact with anyone you don't build the people around you and just leave them to flounder and drown then your entire life has been nothing but masturbation. Mm. The only way that your life really matters is if you were a unifying force because down the line, someone else is going to come along. Even if you're a fracturing force, even if you're a supervillain who tries to blow up the earth, someone else will come along as a unifying force and heal the whole world. And they'll forget that it was ever fractured as badly as it was. But those unifying moments, those stand for eternity. Those are where we build. That's where the human race advances. That's where the human race gets better. This is all that matters. You know, here's the thing I want to, I agree with you and I want to sound off maybe from a little different perspective to tie Go for in it. who might be you Go know, for thinking it. about things from another angle. We all know about the heat death of the universe, or at least most of us who are going to be listening to this. You know, I, I have some clever enough listeners, and, and that's a pretty common, commonly known fact these days. So, look, things fall apart. If you leave them alone, I mean, all you have to do is look out at any abandoned building or old barn or ancient structures. Things fall apart if they're left to fall, to fall apart. It's just how things go. But then you look out at the society that we live in, and you go, there have been advancement upon advancement upon advancement. Um, and we're going through a time right now where um, we've allowed our foundation to, maybe we didn't inspect it in the ways that we needed to be inspecting it. And it's, it's crumbled a little bit and we need to go in there and shore up the foundation, I think. Um, and maybe some of this questioning process has been good, but now I think we're starting to take it too far when you start to question whether or not there's, um, like truth or reality. Maybe that's a bit too far, but we don't necessarily have to jump too deep into that. But the point is whether or not you believe in God say, or the religious end of things, one thing you have to objectively admit, if you're going to look at the facts is that even though things tend to fall apart, we've been able to live in a way where we can get ahead of things falling apart in our societies. We're able to um, transform what would normally be, a loss or a dissolution into just harnessing that energy back into the next iteration and we become more efficient and we build on all these things in our lives like you've been talking about like we've been talking about their impacts their ripples and they spread out forever and you know the initial impact is going to always be the strongest intensity so like if something comes in and whaps you in your life, in your soul, whether it's literally you get hit in the face or whether it's, you know, something happens that tears you apart emotionally, that initial instance, of course, it's the most intense because it's the actual moment when the, when the impact occurred, but those ripples 
and those ripples and the incessant and the, you know, it tears you and it tears you and it never gives you a chance to heal if you don't deal with it. But the same thing is true with the positivity. You know, the initial thing comes in and boy, maybe that realization that you had, um, you go, oh man, I can't believe I didn't realize this before. And you have that epiphany moment. And, and it literally is like your brain is exploding. Like people use the emoji, but every once in a while in your life, you really have one of those moments where you're like, oh, the whole world is different now. And then you don't feel like that, but you feel close to that. And then as time goes on 20 years later, you know, you look at a moment like that and you go, man, that was still pretty cool. But, you know, now I've tied it into my life and integrated it, but still it was cool. And then your children, because you had that moment. Yeah, sure. You know, now they live a certain way and they're on a certain path. And then you get out to the 800,000 people in a hundred years. And that, that one instance is not necessarily the defining feature of their life but it has shaped and guided so much and affected so much. And you make a thousand of those decisions a day. So I I just, you know, I just want people to know that we're not necessarily getting woo here. It's just kind of an objective thing. If you really want to look at it, even in the physical universe, Mm -hmm. we build stuff and stay ahead of the curve. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing with your mentality. If you don't take care of your mind, it falls apart, but you can get ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the thing. Like I said, your name will be forgotten and they might not even remember that you were the one who taught that lesson. But I love your illustration. That big one is a huge, oh, everyone's like, whoa, there was an impact. But you get out, you know, 10 feet from where you drop the rock. There's the ripples are just, they're just barely like this. And the frogs maybe don't even feel it. Maybe they're sitting on a lily pad. They don't even feel the movement. But the water is being pushed. And as the frog on the lily pad is being pushed like this, he says, there's nothing pushing me. I'm not moving at all. And the lily pad is being pushed because it's just being – that's the experience. That's all it knows is it's moving. But it doesn't even register the movement. That's your 800,000 people to 120 years from now. They say, no, I'm not impacted by anyone. No one's really changed my life. But they're, you know, they're living in a big mansion or at least a nice house. They're not on drugs. They're healthy. They're living good lives. Their children are healthy. They have a good marriage. And that was careful cultivation from you all these years and your descendants and your descendants because you're not the only one in this game. Those people aren't passive and stagnant players. Your 800,000 are not passive, stagnant players. They will be dropping ripples just the same as you are dropping ripples. You don't drop one ripple and it all just spreads. You drop a ripple, then each one of them drops ripples, each one of them, and it's this massive rainstorm hitting that lake. It's constant ripples all the time across the entire earth. That's what we're talking about here. Um, I mean, this is the purpose of life. I ask people... I ask people, especially when they're depressed, I say, what's the purpose of your life? I don't know. And I say, well, you know, think about it. And they give me that canned response. Well, none of us really know what the meaning of life is. Well, no, that's not accurate. This is the meaning of life. The meaning of life is your relationships that you have with other people to make the world a better place through those relationships, to leave a positive impact so we were all doing better even atheists who believe in the simulation theory that we are all living in a simulation and there's no God and it's a simulation run by an AI or, you know, matrix kind of stuff. Even that allows for some continuity with that simulation. If you make a change in that simulation that we felt for decades and years and hundreds of years, thousands of years, all the way down the line, it changes the experience of all the other simulation users it changes it. Even if you even if you want to go as bleak as that view, it does change the experience for everyone else that's in that simulation as well. 
the very least, you can make the simulation less painful and less of a suffering thing for the people that are in it. So that when you die, things are better. Absolutely. You know, things, things want to return to that. You know, like you, you splash and it kind of tears out and then it just kind of wants to go back to the to sitting there. Mm-hmm. But have you ever seen one of those um, artificial tide generators, whether in like an amusement park or just in one of the little science experiment mm-hmm. ones, you know, it hits. And, the, and when you're hitting on the same amplitude um, or the same frequency, the amplitude goes up and you, the, mm-hmm. the, har- the harmonizing increases the amplitude. And that's kind of one of those things that, you know, I'm vibing with you on this and I want to pull that out for the listeners is that in, in a very literal sense, when you do an action, it creates a wave, it creates mm-hmm. a ripple. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a physical thing. It's not just a convenient way of looking at it. And if someone does something of a similar, let's, let's call it um, just frequency or energetic. I'm not, I'm not trying to get into crystals and stuff here. No, I'm, I'm just, with you. And you know, like, okay. It's physics. Ripple, You're good. And you know, you can see it in your life. Momentum happens. And downhill momentum super easy because it kind of like when things fall apart, they can just all fall apart at once if you let it. But when things are going in the right direction and you meet other people and they're going in the same direction, you go, hey, I'm feeling this. And, and, and then suddenly whole new worlds open up and you enter this new paradigm. You know, it gets messy and then you push through and then you open up and it's like whole new people, whole new activities, whole new opportunities. And then you choose a new door and then it's like whole new world, whole new, and you know, and you can keep going. And then eventually your skills are going to, you know, you're going to make a misstep or you won't have what you need and you're going to hit a wall and then you're going to fall. And then you have to go through this process of like, okay, well there, there's, there's an actual, like I can't cheat any of these steps. There's a certain, like I have to fall and I have to realize why I fell and I have to deal with these feelings that come from that. And then I have to learn what I need to do and then I need to start applying it. And then I need to hold the faith while I'm putting it into place. And then I get back to the top and then I'm bouncing on top of this ball. And then, you know, you kind of, try to keep rolling it but so i guess to turn that into a question instead of just a rant i'm wondering like how do you what's what are some of the tools you use to school people to increase the speed that they're able to get through that process of like i made a mistake i fell i I recognize the stuff and i start implementing it because that could that could be two decades or that could be like 15 seconds depending on how skillful you are at that process and i wonder how you teach people to get better at it exactly like this If it's just you, every mistake you make is catastrophic because it decreases the, essentially the pleasure of your life. It decreases what you could have had. If your view is this legacy view and this is what you're building, mistakes become valuable data as long as you can convert them into lessons and put them back into that system. Every mistake you make, if you get hit by a car and you lose both your legs and it's just you, boy, your life is wrecked. But if you get hit by a car and you lose both your legs and maybe it's a valuable lesson you can use with your kids. Maybe you get a kid, maybe you get a great, great grandkid a hundred years from now who gets polio because it seems to be coming back. Um, And they don't know how to live, but there's this family story about you who didn't have any legs and you encourage them through that. Your story encourages them to continue on instead of committing suicide. Um, Any mistake that you make, any bad thing that happens to you, any trauma that you have, anything that happens is valuable so long as you can turn it around and say, if this, if I was teaching someone this, teaching a lesson from this, if I could take what's what's happening here and tell my kids a lesson from this, what would that lesson be? 
That's one thing I use with people who make mistakes. We're drowning in it. And I say, well, what would you do? How would you teach this to people? What would you say? They put it in lesson form and I say, now it's useful to you. Now that mistake is useful to you. Now it's not, oh man, I'm such an idiot. I ruined everything. Now it's, I made this mistake. Here's where I was foolish or uneducated or ignorant. Here's what I'm doing about it to fix it. Here's the lesson that I can teach to my kids. Here's how my legacy will be more unified because of that mistake I just made. I don't need to beat myself up then because now it's useful. That right there takes all that guilt and shame out of those, most of the guilt and shame out of those mistakes because it's useful. As long as you can be useful, if it's just you, yeah, you have wrecked your life. You know, if it's just you and you get married for 15, 20 years and it ends up as a divorce and it's miserable and you say, man, I could have been sleeping with piles of women this whole time. My life is a waste. I lost out. Well, maybe. Or that becomes a valuable lesson that you can say, here's where my marriage fell apart. You know, I didn't waste that time, but, but here's, here's the lessons I learned from this marriage. Here's this useful data for you, all of my kids, so that your marriages will be stronger. Here's how you be careful with this, with this mate selection. Here's how you maintain that marriage. Here's how you handle these problems that tore us apart. You use that valuable data. Nothing has been wasted then. The point of your life is not to die with maxed out pleasure as much as you can possibly get. You're not getting all the money in the world and shoving it in your underpants so that they bury you. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> the Egyptians got to do it. No. Um, that's not the point of your life. The point of your life is this legacy. And again, even if you have zero children in your entire life, right? Even if you have no children, you can achieve this legacy just the same as anyone else because it's the people you mentor. It's the people that you mentor carefully through your life. You mentor three people in your life, there's your 120 descendants. There's your 240 descendants right there. There's your 800,000 people. You mentor 10,000 people, you write a book, and 10,000 people read it, and it changes their lives. There's your 800,000 people right there. Yeah. That's how you deal with mistakes hmm. and, and stupid things you do. I do stupid things every day. <laughs> but that, that's how you deal with it. It's not, a, it's, not about, it's not about being perfect. It's about pursuing perfection. You don't expect perfection. You pursue perfection. With every mistake you make, you pursue the plan to become more perfect than you are, to become perfect down the line. Then you make another mistake, but you don't expect yourself to be perfect. You just pursue it every day, relentlessly. Then you teach your kids that and their kids that and their kids that forever. Then you use those lessons. They're valuable data. Don't throw them away. Yeah. You Does know, that answer barring, your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just, I was just going to say, barring catastrophic situations that, you know, like you can die. People just die. I've been close to dying. I've seen people die. It sounds like you've seen plenty of that in your life. Mm -hmm. But if you're breathing and you can, you know, and you have some level of facility to interact with the world, it's like you, you, you're good because you yeah. know what, you know what, all the people who led up to you don't have is that thing that you have. You know, you want to talk about privilege. Well, there's what twenty billion people who are dead who don't don't even have they have no privileges. Never mind white privilege or man privilege or Western world privilege or, or, or any kind of privilege. I mean, and I'm not here to dissect that, you know, people have their views and, and I don't want to argue with them about it. I'm just saying you have the living privilege. 
we all have the living privilege and it's a gift. It truly is. I mean, no matter how you look at it, if you, if you believe in God and God created the universe and then God created you in his image and he placed you here as sort of like a, a fundamental passageway into everlasting existence and whether or not you decide that you're going to accept that gift for yourself, that's amazing. If you think that this universe is a simulation created by some ultra intelligent robot to give meaning to its own perpetual perfected existence and that you are some sort of programmed um, dispersal of that intelligence into an infinitely fractionated, um, you know, self-perpetuating algorithm, that's incredible. If you think it just there are these laws that came into being at a certain point at a certain place. And just from that exploded existence into infinity, and now it's carrying on forever. That's unbelievably lucky and incredible. And here you are, and you have the gift of being alive to, to even experience that. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable any way you look at it. And that's, that's one of the things that's so funny as you mature, as you realize all the fights in the world basically have been about what things are about. And... But either way, you, any way you look at it, it's amazing. Like, I'll be, let's say I'm standing in front of the sink and I've just brushed my teeth. And, you know, maybe it's like, man, you know, I just like, there went, there went three and a half minutes. I flossed my teeth, I brushed my teeth, I rinsed my teeth. I mean, I'm glad I don't have cavities and everything, but that's not necessarily my favorite thing. And then I start thinking like, well, but what would my life be like without brushing my teeth? Well, you know. It, it's my, my mouth would be jacked up and people would treat me differently and stuff. And then I think like, but why does that matter? And then, you know, what is life even meaning and how does life even exist? And what did, and then you get to that point where however you smart and however much, you know, you just go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have that, you have that opportunity right there to let that be existential dread. Mm-hmm. And you go, Oh man, you know, I could never know. And there is no meaning. How could there be any meaning? Cause I got to this wall or I couldn't, I mm-hmm. couldn't gain any more understanding. And so there must be no meaning or you could go, well, I don't know, but it sure feels like my life has a lot of meaning that I'm really real and I'm existing. My choices impact my life and I'm free to make those choices. I think I'm going to go with that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it all comes down to in the end. It's like, no matter what you believe, even if there's no free will, it seems like you can choose to believe that there is. And when you choose to believe that suddenly your decisions that you're not making become better decisions and suddenly the responsibility isn't yours because there's no free will. Um, sure feels a lot easier to bear. And suddenly the suffering that you once felt has turned into opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. So I guess like what I, all I'm saying is all the things that you've been talking about and all the things I've been talking about, I've been through this process, but what I've also seen is a lot of people fail at it. Even, even, you know, I had a really good counselor. I had one counselor who was, not a great counselor and and maybe that's not a blanket statement but i did not get along with this lady and she did not like me it was clear yep from the second and it's like get me out of here i'm done mm-hmm. you know like i'm not doing this and then you know the people who ran the place that i was getting counseling at they they switched me to this other guy and he was this very um sort of hard hard life transformed into a guy who wanted to help and he was uh he was into native American spirituality. He was half Apache and he had a long, um, he had a shaved head, but a long ponytail and he rode motorcycles and, and wore leather vests and, and like native pattern shirts. And he was just a cool dude. And so I could talk to him. And at first I was all wound up and I'd get up and I wasn't in his face, but 
I can't imagine there being a more intense situation barring violence because I was wound up and I had never dealt with a lot of things that happened to me. And I'm all over the place and I'm all over the place. Mm. But, but you know, I, I was able to heal through that process, but I had group counseling sessions too for people who are going through the same set of stuff as me. And it was very helpful for me because I saw the people going through the same stuff as me or even more intense stuff, like way more intense stuff than me. And it's like, oh, you know, like it, it helped place my frame of reference into a more understanding place. And then we also worked as counselors for each other. Like you have this one guy, um, but then you also have like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, dude, cause this is my thing. But then when you have 11 other people sitting in the room and it's all, it's all of their things. And then you can relate to them on a lot of levels cause you got into the same mess that they're in for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah. You begin to want to help them. You're like, okay, you know, like, no, I got this part figured out. Oh, and you got that part figured out. And, oh, and then you step out into the world and you want to keep doing that because, you know, you, you've seen the healing power and you've seen the ability for your words and, and your helpful tips when you deliver them from a place of obvious kindness and when it's at the right time. And if you've done it just right and you've done it strategically, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And so even if you don't, even if they're like, the staunchest, the most militant atheist, even if you're the, even if you're a psychopath, I mean, honestly, I, I don't have things against psychopaths. It is what it is. Like there's, we could make use of people like that very effectively. They're potent tools. If we, it's the same thing. Like if you have an understanding, like, I don't care, like you talked about, I don't care what the situation is that you're in. I just want to serve you the best so that you can live the best life. And, and as long as like, I don't want you to be hurting people and anything that I can do to help you live a life where you're not, you're going to see, even even if you don't have the connection to the um, the same sort of you know impulse impulse control or like let's call it a conscience for for ease of terminology, you see that creatures that are beneficial to their surroundings um, have more success than creatures who are not beneficial to their surroundings. And then you can I mean it's it's kind of dark maybe to get there that way. But if that's the only path you have available to you to get to the point where you, you start to serve and be benevolent, mm -hmm. so be it. So uh, I, I've, I've rambled on because there's so much of what you're saying that I've been through and I agree with and I, I want people to hear because I've written about it. I've written books about it. I've talked about it over and over again. And now you're here talking about it. And um, So maybe you can just kind of guide this a little bit because I – I kind of rambled on and lost my place with some of the tags I had made oh, about what you were saying. So if you could jump in and kind of pick up on something, that'd be great. hundred percent, hundred percent. People feel very alone in this world. And this, this legacy view does one of two, does two things. One, it gives you a purpose so that you know, you're not alone in a present or a future sense. Um, people, people's lives will be changed because of you in some way. In some way, you will survive on through the human race and will impact their lives. If you touch one person in your entire life, if you are somehow that limited in your entire life on this earth, and you touch one life, maybe, I mean, heck, even, even a stillborn baby touches more than one life. You know what I mean? If you touch one life and they go out and start those eight, those three, three, and three, that's 80 people, 80 people in a hundred years that you've touched their lives. Even if that's all you can accomplish is that one, that's still huge. 
And number two, you're still not alone because you're looking forward. You're looking out from yourself. People have this problem where we view ourselves as this origin point and everything goes from us. But look, zoom out and look at the tapestry where you are a single thread and there are trillions of, of ancestors behind you. You are the culmination of trillions of biological and spiritual ancestors who have caused these ripples, whether you're biologically related to them or not. Trillions of people have come down through the ages and culminated in you. You're not alone. You're the culmination of trillions of lives, trillions of legacies weaving together. And you're just one piece of that. It continues to spread through you. You're just, you're a focal point for trillions of people condensing down into one and then spreading back out again. It's like a prism, right? You've seen, is it Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, where the light comes in and hits it and then it spreads out into that rainbow? Trilli I think that's Pink Floyd. Um, trillions of light, trillions of legacies coming in as one, hitting you as the prism and spreading out from you to all the different areas. Think of yourself that way. That's what each one of us is. Where each one of us is a miracle of trillions of people culminating in one and then spreading back out again. And that's happening again and again and again everywhere across this earth. Every time you're born, every time you die, every time you have a conversation, every time you eat a hamburger, every time you go to sleep and fart, whatever you do, <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's trillions <laughs> of legacies hitting you and scattering through you into all the lives around you again. That's, that's the human experience. Whether, whether it's a simulation or it's all just nothing but accident or if it's God or whatever it might be, whatever the, whatever the design of your life is and the, the way you view this universe, that's the reality of each human life. We're a prism. View yourself that way. That's, it's, it's a much better way to view yourself than a rotting lump of meat who will never have any purpose and can't pay off your student debt. <laughs> you know that connection the interconnectedness of things and the scalability of consciousness i'll say something i've or of forms let's call it that instead that'll be a little less controversial for people to consider it's something i've written a lot about because um at a certain point like you realize your environment affects you and that you infect, affect your environment. And then you wonder the scale and, and the intricacies of that. And there's this concept out there um, called the hollow genome. And it, it applies to something called a hollow, holobiont. So like a symbiont, but a holobiont, meaning all, like the hollow, you know, all of it. So okay. like, take a forest, for example. This is the example I usually use. You have the the large trees and the short trees and you have the vines and the trees and then you have the tall shrubbery layer and you have the low shrubbery layer and then you have the vegetation layer and then you have the ground layer and then you have the soil layers and, and you have the animals moving through and you have these interactions but a forest is a forest it wouldn't be a forest if it didn't have the trees if it didn't have the soil if it didn't have the animals that made the trees and the soil possible it then would not be a forest it would be something else so and the hollow genome is there's like a certain collection of genetics that's required to be a forest. And it's not necessarily the same. Like, like let's say mammals, you have to have a certain collection of 
distinguishing features to be a mammal, but a human is not an ape, is not, you know, like a possum is not like a, um, what, et cetera. Hmm. So there are many different iterations of a forest, but the overall collection, you have to have a certain set of genetics to be a forest. Um, and when you look and it's, and then when I realized this and I got deeper into this and I started realizing this, um, immediately what came to the fore was, oh, well, that's how ideas work too. And that got me into studying memetics and, and narrative manipulation. And once I got into that, I started realizing, oh, this is what's happening um, with everybody about everything all the time. And I'm not the first person to realize this. As a matter of fact, the people who have been in power always have, have, have always known this fact to a greater or lesser extent. Like maybe we know more now because we have all the information that's ever been <laughs> stacked up that we can analyze and we can actually analyze the computers and stuff. But the point is these stories that we tell ourselves are interconnected. You know, like the story of what's behind us, the entire history of existence, like you talked about it led up to you in this focal point. And then the entire history of existence now channels through you. You are, I mean, it's infinite significance if you want to look at it that way, but it's just fundamentally true. So if you're there and then you realize that, oh, I also right now in this existence, I have a fundamental connection with my environment. I'm interacting with the bacteria. I'm interacting with the fungus. I'm interacting with the plant life. If I walk across my lawn on a certain path all the time, guess what? Stuff doesn't grow there and it gets hard and then other stuff happens, you know, like all these things that we do, but we look at the grass and it makes us feel a certain way and then we cut it and we smell it. We have an allergy and then we hawk a spit and the spit lands on the stone and then the bacterial growth. Like, you know, it's mm -hmm. we're and we, and then we live in these communities and I get sick and then I shake your hand and you get sick. But also I get this idea and I go, Hey, Adam Lane Smith, I have this, I have this idea. I have this idea for a podcast. And what I'm trying to do on here is pull ideas out of people who are worth pulling ideas out of and presenting them to people. Adam Lane Smith, would you like to come on my podcast and participate in it and a drinking game and help people understand more about themselves and give people more tools to further advance their own situation? And, and then you're like, yeah. And now this community of ideas, you know, I have a couple thousand followers on Twitter. You have however many thousand followers on Twitter you have and however many people are going to watch this. And then they're going to take some of these ideas because they sound pretty good. Hey, that Adam Lane Smith character had a great idea. And I'm going to take that one thing he said, you know, we, we've talked, we've talked for like however long we've talked for now, a little over an hour. I'm going to take that one thing out of this hour and I'm going to implement it into my life. And that two degree turn then ends up being a huge angle change for the rest of their lives and then the people that they touch just like we've been talking about and you know this conversation is circling around this and it doesn't shock me given the line of work that you're in where this is what you're thinking about all the time every day you see these people and then you ask yourself what are their patterns what are their habits what are their routines where can i where can i interject where can i interrupt what can i replace it with how can and a lot of the things i talk about are um like NLP stuff and, and conditioning stuff where, oh, you've, you've thought and you've, remember that time when you felt mighty, let's say, mm. think about it. Okay. What are the, what's like, what else do you think when you feel mighty? Like what's a weapon you might hold? Oh, you're holding a sword, put it in the memory. 
Okay, what else do you think? Like, what song makes you feel mighty? Dun, 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 dun. Okay, play that. You can do it. And you do it, and you, know, and you add all these things. What are the colors? Turn it up. Are you in your body or are you out of your body? No, get your butt in your body. Oh, you're in an arena now and there's 100,000 people going, yeah! Okay, now you're feeling mighty. Now make a fist. Now do that again twice a day, every day for the next two weeks. And then the next time I see you, make that fist and watch what happens. And so the next time you're afraid, make that fist and watch what happens. And guess what? You were afraid. You were backed into a corner. You already made a fist. Oh, snap. Now I'm feeling mighty. I'm not backed into a corner. I've got this whole thing that I conditioned to unleash now. And I just want people, I guess, to know that what you're doing every day, I've, I've been in that place. And, and people like you who have the heart and the patience to be able to do it, I know it takes its toll. I mean, you talked about things that you do, but the reality is I've made enough mistakes in my life to know that they're always there. I'm just strong enough to carry the weight. It's, it's a weight forever. You can't just let it go because it made you who you are. And if you're glad to be who you are, you can't let go of what it is that made you there, but you're strong enough to carry it. And now you're the kind of person who you take these things and maybe a lot of it is able to brush off, but every once in a while something hits your soul and it's, and it's, and then it's there. And you sacrifice a lot to be in the position that you're in. And I want you to know that I respect you for doing it because I know the little bit that I've done it has impacted me greatly. And the times that I've had somebody there to do that for me has made all the difference in the world. Um, and I want people to know too, that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of talk about counseling, even to this day as being something that healthy people don't do or that strong people don't do or machismo comes into it. And that's just fear. You're not a macho man. If you're afraid to face your problems, that makes you a weak person, no matter how much you might posture otherwise. And I know counselors and I know that if someone reached out to you and you we're in a position where you could help them, you would. And I don't know, there's a lot of people out there. And there's even networks where there's pro bono people who will spend the time, even if it's just a phone call, to talk you through a hard situation. And I want to make clear that that's something that you not only can you do, and not only should there not be any hesitancy or shame, but you should do it and you should do it right now. If you feel like you need some help, you should reach out to somebody. So even if it's just somebody in your life who's stable and kind, ask them what they think you you might be able to do about your situation and allow them to guide you through you talking yourself into doing the thing you already know is right. Because I think that's a lot of what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you're talking about is a mentorship. Reach out and find yourself a mentor. If you sure. don't know where to find one or you don't have ability to get one, a therapist is a great paid mentor who will target areas of your life where you need work or just a more versatile mentor than maybe you might find. But yeah, you're hundred percent right, bro. Us men, we get this idea in our heads that we have all the solutions in the entire world, that we know every way to fix every problem. And if we can't fix a problem, it's because there's not a solution. And eventually we get bogged down in what's called helplessness, where we feel like we have no control in our life. And that's when depression starts. When we just can't make changes and don't have control, we start getting depressed. Then as that continues, we start getting this idea that that will never change. It's called hopelessness. That's when depression gets more severe. The problem is that we as men, our brains are a machine and it will kick out great output, but only for the things that you have put in it. If you have never input 
those solutions, those possibilities of solutions, you can't generate a new solution that matches the situation you're in. You need to reach out to another man who has that solution or a woman or whomever. Reach out to someone, find a mentor that, that is doing what you want to do, that is living the life where you are stuck. The financial guy, right? I just, just this morning, I reached out to Nate, uh, Nate Dean, Chronicles Nate on Twitter. Um, I grew up in poverty. I grew up, my mother came from a wealthy family, but was disowned and disinherited at 18 for marrying a Christian man by her atheist father. Um, hundreds of years of family wealth. My father had a safe full of diamonds and jewels on his property, and he had all these properties in all these states, disowned and disinherited as the eldest kid from marrying a, a Christian man. My father, because of his mother's destructive decisions, pulled him away from his father, ran and hid him from his father. So he grew up in a trailer park with a stepdad, an abusive stepdad. Trailer park kid, disowned and disinherited woman. We grew up in the, I grew up in the ghetto, grew up, you know, not like starving to death, but man, it was rough. It was rough. My finances have been a mess my whole life. I'm bad at spending money. Thank God my wife is better at budgeting and money than I am. I make the money. She budgets it carefully and tells me how we're going to set things up. She's got a head for that. I just don't. Um, talked to Nate this morning because he, I keep, I getting, I keep getting people telling me that there's something about this guy. Yeah. He's become my financial mentor. Um, Hunter Drew, I was living a crap, pretty, not crap life, but man, I wasn't where I wanted to be. I had no discipline. I played video games like 14 hours a day. I, <laughs> I hardly did anything with my life or my time. And a couple of years ago, I got involved with Hunter Drew um, and with, with Craig James, both of them in their fraternity that they're building. And they've both become very personal mentors to me. Uh, they showed me how to live a more disciplined life. When I'm freaking out about something, um, Texas Dom, on, on Twitter. He is, he has been a mentor to me and he's been there and coached me through problems. We men, we need mentors, right? Like I said, you're a culmination of trillions, but that's, they're not all dead. And, and you're still building that. I am becoming, I have become a piece of, I'm one of Hunter's offshoots for his legacy. Now, all my descendants are now a piece of Hunter's legacy, Craig's legacy, Texas legacy, now Nate's legacy. Um, I'm a piece of all of these men's legacy as they impact me through, through my life. That's what we men need. You don't flourish when you think you know all the solutions. You don't flourish when you don't have other men around you who can teach you those things that you're missing. You're, you're not God. You're not the culmination of all knowledge. You need to gather that knowledge and the experience that other men have had and they can teach you. This is how you do it. If you are feeling hopeless, if you are feeling stuck, if you are feeling depressed, if you feel like life is not worth living, if you feel like you can just never make things better, find a man who is living that life that you want to live in the area where you are stuck and send him an email. Start following him on social media and pay attention to what he says and what he does. Start modeling behaviors after him. Reach out and say, bro, I respect you for what you're doing. I, I want to live that kind of life. Do you have any advice for me? Most of those guys, they'll shoot you an email back and say, yeah, this, this, and this, do this. Sometimes they'll, they'll take you under their wing and say, if you actually want to get better, and it sounds like you really do, here's, let's just talk. Let's do a phone call for a minute. Let's talk once a week. Let's do this, this, and this. I'm a little wary of guys charging for that kind of stuff. I say as a therapist who charges for that. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's a lot of good 
good mentors online and there's a lot of bad mentors who are just looking to take your money and run you through a program that's not going to work for you. So be careful of that. But there's a lot of good guys out there, right? You, Chance, you're a good guy out there that people can come to. Me, people can shoot me an email. My DMs are open on Twitter, whatever. Reach out to either one of us. Reach out to Hunter, Craig, Tex, Nate, any of these guys that I've talked about. Anyone, reach out to someone and Hmm. say, I'm having a problem. I need some help. Reach out to men specifically because we're fixers. We're fixers. If you're having a problem and you want a solution, we're fixers. Women are great resources, but women tend to process. They process out loud. They aren't fixers quite like we are. They will have solutions for you. But if you go to a guy and say, here's my problem, his brain will start churning out a solution instantly. Um, Plus, we men, we just need each other. We don't spend as much time together as we should. Society has really decayed on that front too. So that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation though. Sure. I mean, it's tough to be taught how to be a man of honor if you don't spend time or take lessons from other men of honor who've gone before you to, you know, carry the torch. It's tough to churn out solutions if you have never really input those situations before. You're going blind. It'd be a shame to, uh, It'd be a shame to put out the fire and have to start from scratch too. I can tell you that much. Just find someone who knows what they're doing, buddy up with them and they'll help you find out what you're doing. It's as simple as that. hundred percent. So look, we've been going now for maybe like an hour and 15 Mm -hmm. minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel as though we've mostly been talking to people who have some things to get through. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you're kind of used to that conversation and, and I'm Fair pretty point. used to that conversation too, to be honest, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing this. I mean, everybody's got a thing and if an all-star watches this podcast and picks up one little thing and they're one degree closer to excellence, that's awesome. I support <laughs> that hundred percent, but I really want to bring up the bottom end with my service because one thing like if everybody swept their own porch, every street would be clean, but if your neighbor doesn't have the ability to sweep their porch and you've got five extra minutes, you know, you can still keep your street clean and then you don't have to hire a street sweeper to come do that. Um, so here I am and here we're doing this. And today we've been talking for sure to people who are going to resonate the most with this or people who, who have a lot of growing to do, who have a lot of internal work and a lot of internal examination to go through. That's who these, these tools and, this conversation is definitely going to um, be most helpful for. So so given that, and given that you have a lot of experience talking to exactly this person that we're talking about, imagine that you are sitting across from them, you know, maybe you got your chair, they got their chair and you're looking them in the eyes and, and they have come to you and they said, Hey, you know, I, I just need one thing to latch onto. I just need one thing in my life that I can believe in or that I, can do right now that I can start to, to build the life that I am starting to understand. I want to live. What would you tell them? What's the, you know, what's the thing that will get them the furthest that they could start with right now? Your life absolutely has purpose. As we've talked about tonight, the impacts that you have on the lives around you, even if it's only one throughout your entire life, the impact you have will ripple forever through human history. If you can't picture that, think of the ripples that have happened in your life. That's you also. 
whether you want to or not, that's what's happening. Be mindful of what kind of ripples you're leaving. Shape yourself, strengthen yourself, you know, go lift, eat healthier, save that five bucks instead of spending it. Be mindful of collecting resources and being stronger and healthier so that the impacts that you leave are better ones. That's what I would say. That's the purpose of your life right now. Go forward, move, keep going. Don't stop. Don't despair. Don't feel like you have nothing to offer because you will impact the world around you, whether you want to or not. So commit to leaving the best impacts that you can find mentors, shape yourself. That's your purpose. Your purpose is not to collect things. It's not to make achievements. It's not to get all the money in the world. You don't have to do that. That's not success. Success is leaving a good legacy of strong ripples, the best that you can. They don't have to be perfect. They have to get our human race, though, toward a better, more unified system. That's all you got to do. That's your whole purpose in life. Just get there a day at a time, the best that you can. Work on yourself. I love it. I love it. That's a great place. That's a great place to leave people's minds at. So, Adam Lane Smith, <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on here, man. This was. I appreciate you was, giving me the chance, bro. This was wonderful. Yeah, this was everything I, I I hoped it would be, and I really feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of value for people in this conversation that we've just had. And if you ever want to come on here again and do it, I, you know, I don't feel like we, we ran out of gas or anything. I just felt like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not Joe Rogan yet. I'm not going to be asking for two or three hours of people's time. So, <laughs> so I'd love to do this again. Um, why don't you tell them where they can find you, uh, you know, your books, your social media, that kind of stuff. And if you want to say hello to anybody, feel free to do that too. <laughs> Pressure is on. Um, I'll say hello to my beautiful wife and my wonderful Perfect. children because they're my legacy there. Um, where they can find me. So on, at, on Twitter, I am at the Brometheus, bringer of the bro flame on my website. I am adamlanesmith.com. There you will find all my work about my, my books that I write. I have a blog. I have all kinds of the normal crap that authors have, but you can find <laughs> all my book listings there. It's probably easier to go there and see the books that I have. Cause I post them all there. If you go on Amazon, you can, um, type Adam Smith, you'll find no books that I have at all. One person did jokingly say that I should, because Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, one person jokingly said I should write The Health of Nations as Adam Smith. Um, I don't know. That'd be a funny play off that. Um, <laughs> find me. Find me on my website. Poke me on Twitter. Whatever you guys want to do, I'll respond. If anyone has any questions, you need something, you want to reach out, I'm here 100%. You won't be, you won't be bothering me at all. Yeah, and I want to, I want to say the same, um, you know, we're, we're going to operate on different levels, but, uh, I've had plenty of people reach out to me already and I'm happy to help always. Um, especially if you're willing, I'm not going to waste my time with you. And if that's made apparent, I'm going to walk away from you and, and that it is what it is. And, but if, if you want some help and you're willing to do some work, I can point you in the right direction. And if I can't, I got a group of great people who I could connect you with one of them and they could help you out. But either way, ask for help. It's the right thing to do. There's no shame. In fact, it's honorable. And I just want to thank you again, Adam, for doing this with me. And um, let's do it again. And until next time, Logos Centrifugal.
Chance Lunsford, Adam Lane Smith, out.